Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. I'm David Massover. I'll be your host today. And today we have a great guest. Today we're talking to Katie Ivey, who's the Regional Vice President of Sales at Demandbase. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. It's great to be here. Happy to have you. So as I said, you're the Regional Vice President of Sales at Demandbase. You're also a mentor at First Round Capital. You're a member of the Revenue Collective. You've got 15 years of sales and sales leadership experience in MarTech. So with all of that experience and all of that insight, Katie, what's the single best piece of sales advice that you ever received? Interesting first question. Well, I'll lead with the first piece of advice I was ever given, which was to slow down. I'm the single fastest talker you will probably ever meet. And this is after 15 years of me purposely trying to learn to speak slower. But best advice that would translate to other sellers I would say it was, it was something along the lines of level up. I had conversations really early on around what it means to develop true executive presence. And I think salespeople, especially young salespeople, focus so much time and attention on how do I get great at my craft of selling and negotiation and closing and all of these very tactical pieces that make up the role. And really what helped me so much early on was focusing on how to actually be great at business and understanding how do companies make money genuine curiosity around you know what's happening around me in the business world and, and how to develop that type of executive presence through actually learning how to think like an executive. So that's certainly advice that I would pass on to other folks, especially early in their selling career. That's really great advice because I remember early in my sales career, the whole idea of calling a VP or a CEO was very intimidating because you had this idea like, oh, they know so much and they're the boss and I hadn't heard anyone really make the connection so directly. Like business acumen is what you need to know. I think most people who are in sales for a while kind of develop that. You know, you talk yeah. to a lot of customers, you see a lot of situations, and you develop it organically. But to be deliberate about it, that's great advice. And it's hard because there's no real shortcut to learning about business holistically. So you've, you've got to read, you've got to watch, you've got to listen and really dive in. Uh, and it takes time for sure. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of a shortcut. The shortcut is if you're really curious, then you'll yeah. actually be interested and you'll, you'll seek out those things. If you have to do it like it's a homework assignment, it's probably going to be pretty painful. Yeah, very true. It's, it's hard to fake curiosity about business or about people, which is another very core aspect of selling and selling well. Another good piece of sales advice, ladies and gentlemen, you know, Katie's good for a twofer on the good sales advice. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Now, what about the worst sales advice you've ever heard? There's a lot of bad advice going around. What, what's a, a gem that sticks out for you? Yeah. So I worked around some folks early on and there's just this kind of pervasive thing across sales that it involves manipulation or some element of deception that you've got to strong arm people into doing what you want them to do. And I fundamentally disagree with that aspect of, of who we are as salespeople. I think sales is at its core about helping people solve problems. And there's lots of different ways that that looks and feels. But if you have to manipulate or lie or stretch the truth to get to that 
place, then I think you're either selling the wrong product or you're really bad at selling. Um, so that'd probably be the piece that I would say would be the worst sales advice. You don't have to manipulate people to be great in this profession. It's really the core of a lot of the the, the stereotypes that you see in you know the Hollywood movies and in wherever else you might see the stereotypes. And uh, yeah, you know the used car salesman who's trying to trick you into buying the old jalopy. But uh, I haven't met too many people that operate that way. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. I think that the profession has come a long way just in terms of the reputation because of folks like yourself. And there's a lot of just more brand building, I think, that's happening around what is the profession of, of professional selling and what's that look like today, which is a big positive for all of us. Kind of you to say, thank you. But I think there's a lot of great thought leaders who are talking about how sales is supposed to be done. And I think there's good platforms. And you know, hopefully together we can all elevate the craft. I think that's good for all of us. Yeah, for sure. So I look at your at your LinkedIn experience section, and it's it's a long list of of powerhouse sales and martech companies like Marketo and Salesforce, and of course now Demandbase. And your career, your your fifteen year career that's listed there, spans a really interesting period of time when the way that we in sales and business in general, but specifically sales, gather and interpret and, and, and utilize prospect and client data has really changed in that time. So let's start with a little bit of context. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role at Demandbase and what Demandbase is all about so that we have kind of a point of departure? Yeah, sure. So I run the mid-market sales org at Demandbase, uh, which we define mid-market as companies that are a billion dollars in annual revenue and down. Um, so kind of that tr- traditional S&B mid-market space. In terms of what Demandbase is all about, we're a B2B marketing platform that focuses on all things account-based marketing and account-based selling. So I think any B2B sales organization that is going to market very specifically against a strategic set of accounts, you know, whether it's a small list or a large list, but they absolutely know who they want to be selling to and who they want to be marketing to, our technology helps them really focus resources and attention and data in that direction. So we had a conversation prior to this recording, and, and one of the things that you shared with me was, was the way that demand base helps people, uh, help salespeople understand and sales organizations understand what's happening with their prospects, irrespective of whether or not the prospect is actively engaging with content. Can you help me and my fellow Luddites kind of understand what that is and how that works? Yeah, sure. So the concept that you're talking about is intent data. So it's essentially understanding what are B2B buyers doing out on the web before they've necessarily hit your website or converted on a form fill, you know, or put up their hand and said, I'd like to see a demo of your product. The most simplistic terms, you know, if you are super interested in account-based marketing, just that's my topic. So you as an individual, maybe you spend two hours this afternoon and you read an article on Forbes and you go to the New York Times and you bounce around to three or four other B2B or business-centric websites. There's data out there and there's companies out there that are collecting that and they're understanding. They're not mapping it back to you, David, as an individual, but they're tying you to the company that you work for. saying, whoa, there's some folks at this company that are doing a ton of research on topic X, Y, and Z. And essentially it's technology that's allowing sales reps to get their hands on that information to learn more about what companies are in market for my product or interested in what we do long before, again, they've asked for that demo or put up their hand. I think the, there's tons of stats out there. One of the most recent ones I read from Forrester said something like 73% of a B2B buyer's journey is done before a buyer actually engages with a seller directly. So it's all about helping salespeople get ahead of the curve and get access to the right companies earlier on in the process. So a lot of folks hear that kind of statistic. You know, the buyer journey is pretty much done before the salesperson even shows up and sees that as a negative. 
right? So the salesperson's job is going to be eliminated if you take that to its logical conclusion. They'll be 99% or 100% done. You seem to be saying the opposite. This is a, this is a strategic weapon or, or at least a strategic piece of information that we should be able to use. But how can a salesperson effectively use this information when they're ready to make an outreach? How does this impact? What do I do? What do I say when I pick up the phone or send an email or, or start to engage with the prospect? Yeah, it's a good question. And there is this perception that because technology has evolved, that somehow it's going to minimize or eliminate the role of a B2B salesperson. I actually think the opposite. I think it has forced us to up-level and be much more strategic and much better at what we do. But the fact that we have one, a more limited window, you know, after that, that, that last 30% or 28% means we have to be incredibly strategic and smart and buttoned up and consultative through that process. But to your earlier point, absolutely, the fact that we have access to tech and our competitors have access to tech, we have to be really good at leveraging that as early as possible. And it doesn't mean the same thing as, you know, 10 years ago, someone would fill out a form to download a white paper and then two minutes later, 22 minutes later, it'd be an SDR with an email. Hey, saw you downloaded this white paper. Can I schedule 30 minutes? We're well past the phase of that doesn't work anymore. We've all recognized that. We have to be much more personalized. So even to my earlier example, if I know you're out there doing a ton of research, but you haven't asked to talk to my company yet, then I'm going to craft my messaging or, or the rep that works with me or the SDR that might be supporting me as an AE. We're going to leverage that. Oh, wow. David's doing a lot of research on account-based marketing. He's been doing a ton of research on you know, B2B advertising in the digital age, really interesting topics. How can we incorporate that into the messaging that we send? And our first ask is not for that 30-minute meeting. It might be some really engaging piece of content that my marketing team's put together. It's how do we educate and help him through the process so that when he is ready to put up his hand, to take that demo, to schedule the discovery call, whatever might be happening next, we've really shaped that journey you know, much earlier in the process as opposed to letting two direct competitors get out in front of us. So, so as we discussed uh, earlier in the podcast, you, you've been in sales and, and sales leadership for a decade and a half. With all of this insight that's now available, do you think that the skills required to be effective as a salesperson have changed because of this? I think yes and no. Fundamentally, selling has always been about solving problems, connecting with other human beings, understanding how business works, and then figuring out if what you're selling can meet those needs to either help mitigate risk or create opportunity for that business. So at the core, it's, we're all doing the same thing. I think one thing that absolutely has changed is sales used to be almost exclusively relationship-based or a lot of industries at least where you would meet people, you'd build up your Rolodex and it was literally on pieces of paper that you carry around in your pocket and you nurtured those relationships and you did business on the golf course and that was kind of how things happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's still a place for a lot of that same element of relationship building in sales what I've seen, and you have to remember, I live in a mid-market world, so it's a little bit different than if you're managing you know, two enterprise customers or something you know, slightly more narrow in scope. But reps that work on my team and, and most of the businesses that I've operated in at Marketo and Salesforce, they have to be able to do both. So they have to be able to nurture those relationships and build those one-on-one, literally people that want to go out and have drinks with them or take, go out to dinner and network face-to-face but they also have a relatively large book of potential accounts that they've got to be relatively organized and strategic at how do I stay in front of them? How do I decide who to prioritize? What should I be doing versus what should my SDR be doing? So there's definitely an element of essentially owning a territory like you're a CEO of that territory. 
and figuring out where do I spend a lot of my time, a little bit of my time, and then how do things spread out from there? So I think technology has helped with that, but it also has the potential to make us really, really lazy and think we can automate our way to building relationships, which I don't think is great selling ever. Yeah, it just doesn't sound good, does it? Automating your way into relationship. That doesn't yeah. feel good to me. I'm not sure about anybody else. No, I would agree for sure. So I, I heard you on, a, on the Sales Hacker podcast with Sam Jacobs, and you said something really interesting about your team at Demand Base that really jumped out at me. And what you said was that in the mid-market where you sell, your reps often have to shift between this kind of velocity-based and volume-based approach and, and, and a consultative approach, which, which is similar to what you just said about the relationship and the, and, the, you know, and, and the big pipeline behind it. There's a lot of people who believe those are very, very distinct skill sets. Do you find that people are stronger at one, weaker at another, or do you have, you know, should people be hiring different people for those roles? Or is there a rep or a training program that can turn someone into, in, into an effective rep in both of those areas? I think there's no one size fits all. And so every sales org and every product and business is certainly different. So I can absolutely speak from the perspective of managing a team at Demandbase or Marketo or this type of B2B motion. And reps that work for me, yet to your point, absolutely have to do both. And most people naturally have more of a skill set that lends itself to one direction or another. So maybe they're really, really good at building those very deep, very strategic relationships over time, nurturing that relationship. But maybe they're super unorganized. I'll use that as an example. Someone that's unorganized and doesn't do a good job of managing their own calendar and structuring how they spend their time tends to struggle with more of that volume velocity type of business. So if you're a rep that works on my team, and I know that you typically are very unstructured and not organized, then that's where we're going to drill in. And I'm going to try to give you some tools and mechanisms to be good at that piece of your business. I'm not going to spend a ton of time trying to teach you how to build those deeper relationships and add business value because you probably are naturally really good at that. There's certain businesses. I mean, if you're talking about more of an SMB transactional volume-based sell, then you've got to be ultra, ultra organized and the other piece doesn't matter as much. So I think it depends on the business that you're in. It also depends on whether you're doing business primarily through an inbound motion. So you know, someone fills out that form, wants to talk to you and is a relatively educated buyer in terms of what you're selling or if there's much more of an education, educational aspect. At Demandbase, we're in a bit of an emerging space. So there's some buyers that absolutely come to us with a project, know what they're looking for. It's very buttoned up. We have a really clear process we walk them through. There's others that are going to spend the next 12 months researching what does ABM need to look like at their org, and we want to shape those conversations as well. So they're different. So I, some, of the, some of the most effective sales leaders that I talk to... Uh, they, they really have a very clear idea, almost like a list of the competencies that, that, they're, that their most effective salespeople have to master. It sounds like what you're saying is there's very different competencies and your role is let's figure out where someone's strong, where someone's weak. And uh, as, as Lance Armstrong said, uh, you know, ride your strengths and train your weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even add to that probably one step further one critical mistake that I've seen so many sales leaders make is we hone in so hardcore on those weaknesses and focus a ton of our time and attention on how to fix whatever it is, which we all bring to the table weaknesses, certainly myself included. My goal typically as a sales leader is almost the inverse of that. And I want to figure out what you're really good at and figure out how do we amplify that. And over time, of course, plug the holes, figure out what the weaknesses are and help you with those gaps. But I find that the more you 
kind of empower folks to understand what their superpower really is, what they bring to the table that's really unique. It's a very interesting thing that happens and they start to kind of almost automatically solve for some of those weaknesses because those strengths get amplified so naturally. What a great perspective. I remember when I was very young in my 20s, I had a, 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 a management job at a summer camp during college. And, and one of the first management lessons that I learned from, from my boss, the camp director, was one of the most effective things you can do in management is to catch somebody doing something right. I love it, that. It sounds like that's a core value for you. Yes, absolutely. So in, in a lot of organizations, you do have very supportive leadership who's able to catch people doing things right and understanding what the competencies are. A lot of salespeople don't have that kind of support. So if, if a salesperson is listening to this today and they're feeling like there might be a different way to approach sales in general, but they're, but they're really having to do it on their own, how would you advise a salesperson who's not getting a lot of support to stay relevant and up their own game and, and level up as you describe it? I think it starts with recognizing that a portion of your job and I mean, even your day job is to be a learner. So whatever it takes to get you there, block out time, schedule it. You need to be reading and listening and watching business news and current events. You've got to be learning about what's you know up and coming, the tech that doesn't exist today that might define your job in six months. And none of us have a boss that's going to naturally be able to paint you that roadmap of what that looks like. Of course, great organizations need to be investing in helping their people be learners. But that's probably the first piece of advice that I would give to a rep, especially if they don't necessarily feel supported. Block off some time in your calendar and be really diligent and selfish with that time. And there's so many incredible resources. I mean, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I'm in the early stages of figuring out how to kind of build a brand and more of a presence there. And some of the content that I encounter on a daily basis is just gold, like really. And of course, it's not all gold, but there's some really good stuff, really smart people that are sharing typically for free videos, content, thoughts, ideas, data, results. Um, so there's a lot of things I think that we have access today that you know even five, eight years ago didn't really exist. So that's probably where I would start. Like look outward. Don't expect your, if your boss is a, an energy sucker versus an energy giver for you, then put up boundaries uh, and focus elsewhere in terms of where to get that energy. Yeah, it's great advice. There's a lot of information out there, but if you don't take ownership of, of finding what you need and integrating it into your own system, you really don't have anyone else to blame. Yeah, for sure. I think we give bosses in particular, but sometimes our teams as well, too much power over us. That's one thing that I think has being remote full-time has taught a lot of us that we're historically in an office is that we actually have a ton of opportunity to shape what our own work environment looks like. Uh, and again, if, if it's your boss or if it's your team or if it's you know other external factors of your work environment that are not fueling you and helping you become better at what you do, we have more opportunity than ever to create those boundaries and, and figure out what great looks like you know, for you as an individual. I love it. So it's, 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 it's one of many silver linings that come out of COVID. There's plenty of gray cloud, but there's some silver lining as well. Plenty of both. I, I miss my airplanes, but yes, there are some silver linings. <laughs> It's hard to, hard to do international travel without one, right? <laughs> or even just my normal Atlantis to New York commute. I'm even missing that. People used right. to feel sorry for me and I'd, I'd give anything to be able to pop up to Manhattan for the week again. Yep. And what about the other side of the equation? So sales organizations also need to level up and, and that can sometimes be even more difficult. How can you say there's a lot of inertia or momentum? I don't remember which one. I guess it's inertia. Uh, you know, the way we've always done it 
can often get in the way of progress. How can a sales organization or, or, or a single leader in a sales organization that might have some inertia that's hard to move, how can a sales leader start to move the needle towards, let's get our reps engaged, let's understand strengths and weaknesses, let's get involved in coaching, let's level up everybody uh, and, and you know, each person and every person. What, what, what's your advice to the leader that wants to move in that direction? I think there's, there's a lot of pieces to that that are important. It probably starts with just giving your reps the space to be learners. So encouraging them to do exactly what I just described, block off 30 minutes or an hour here and there, be really selfish of that time. I think at an organizational level, we absolutely need to be investing in sales enablement. We call it sales productivity at demand base. But it's crazy to me that you know CEOs or, or leaders of organizations fall victim, I think, at times to seeing that this investment in enablement or productivity is it's harder to quantify from an ROI perspective. It doesn't show up correctly on a PL. At the end of the day, literally every dollar you invest into making your people better. One, it's going to help with retention, and then it's going to make them really great at what they do. And there's just because there's no quantifiable way to tie an exact dollars and cents to it, literally every piece of revenue that's coming in in the door for you and every piece of revenue that's staying after it com- comes on board from a SaaS perspective can be tied back to those dollars that you're spending in terms of education and enablement. Yeah, you know, we started this podcast talking about demand base and the ability to gather information about your prospects and have a more focused, targeted, researched, understood, informed outreach when you do finally make it. And now we're talking about creating space to learn. There's really kind of two different big camp in in the world of sales today. And and I'd like to think that that one is growing. The other one is this activity-based model. You know, we're not going to work on effectiveness. We're just going to work on more. So it's great that you were able to kind of bring those two concepts full circle, going for quality as opposed to quantity is something that will pay if you have patience in in both of those domains. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I love it. This has been a great conversation. We're kind of coming up to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you kind of a general question to close this out. As we spoke about, you've had quite a ride through the emergence of, of sales and marketing technology these last 15 years or so. What's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career that you've learned along the way? I think it's that we have more time than we imagine. So it's okay to be patient and take the time to learn and perfect the role that you're in. But at the same time, we're capable of so much more than we initially come to the table believing that we can do. So, and and this is especially true for women because we tend to sit back until we feel 100% qualified for the next role, the next opportunity. I think I wish I had been a little bit more aggressive early in my career to, to put up my hand and take on challenges that I may not have been ready for at that time. That's fantastic advice, Katie. Thank you so much for spending time with us. If people want to learn more about you, read your content, find out more about Demandbase, where can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, like I mentioned, LinkedIn is a pretty big focus of mine. So I'm, I'm Katie spelled with a C. So usually, usually I'm pretty easy to find if you do Katie Ivy on LinkedIn. Great. Katie, I will put all of your contact information into the episode notes. Thank you so much for spending time and sharing your insights with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, David. It was great to talk to you. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. 
please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.